0: Thanks for tuning in to the weekly FBC Athens podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Kyle Henderson. If you have anything else you'd like to know about our church, feel free to check out our website, lovingtheworld.com. Enjoy the message. We're in a sermon series where we've been reading through the book of Matthew and looking at moments when people saw Jesus and understood who he was in a transformative moment, and wondering when that happened in your life, and can you go back to that and rehearse that a little bit and hold on to those truths that you discover when you find and meet and know Jesus. In this moment uh, that we're going to look at, the disciples are coming to a time period when they've been watching Jesus... And they've been trying to assess, understand, conclude who he really is. I mean, Because they met him and knew him in all sorts of different ways that we don't get to. They got to watch him eat, and they got to watch him walk, and they got to sit down with him and sleep and take naps and wake up. They got to see all that stuff. They're trying to sort out all of the things they saw and knew about him. And this is the moment of real clarity that they really see him for the first time. Maybe that's happened to you, that you maybe knew someone for some time, but then something happened, and is that clarifying moment? I mean, maybe it was somebody that you didn't know very well, and in some particular moment they acted in a new way for you. They acted maybe more responsibly than you thought, and you're like, oh, that's a person that could be trusted. Or maybe it's somebody that you knew, and they acted in such a way, and you said, well, that's a person I could fall in love with. Or maybe it's somebody that acted in such a way and said, oh, I didn't know they had that much anger inside of them. Like you could know and see, but not have clarity yet. And we're particularly bad at this sometimes, looking at somebody and figuring out who they are. We we miss this an awful lot. We're we're living in the era in which lots of people, uh, because of DNA testing, were finding out, it happens almost every week, that somebody that's been in jail for a long time shouldn't have been in jail. They did not commit the crime that they were convicted of. And in a study early on in these people that had been exonerated, they they didn't do the crime. DNA proved they didn't do the crime. Of those people, 62% of them had just one witness, an eyewitness account said they did the crime. Another 25%, two different people said that's the person that did the crime. And in 13% of the case, Three different, unique individuals all identified the same person as committing the crime, but none of them, not a single one of them, had committed the crime. The gap between our brains, our eyes, and what we see, and the truth, is clouded by lots of stuff that's in the box of our heart and our minds. It's really hard sometimes to sort that out. And you get the impression that the disciples were caught in that same trap. They're looking at Jesus and trying to figure out who he is. And we encounter them in Matthew chapter 16. And I'd love it if you'd open your Bible and look at those words in Matthew chapter 16. 16. I'll begin reading in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, Or one of the prophets? But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus and his followers um, had been living in a very particular cultural and religious context. Lots of ideas, lots of things being talked about in that time period. And what was swirling around them was influencing the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. This happens to us all the time. So in January, I got to go visit in Iceland, and this is the national downtown main church in Iceland. It's a kind of relatively new church, actually. It's quite beautiful, quite severe. It looks like a very famous waterfall in Iceland, and uh, people come there. Now, the church is pretty dead, like a lot of big churches in these towns. They make their money primarily by selling tickets to go up in their elevator. And people do it all the time. I, I bought a ticket, went up to the elevator. You get to see all over the city. Because Iceland is in a collapse of faith. Just 30 years ago, about 75% of Icelanders said they were part of the state church. And that has dropped like 25%. Just, no, they're out. And, so it's, and it's headed down. In Iceland, they have a few laws that are really different than we have. For instance, in Iceland, you must have a religion. Like, I, sometimes I, I think people in our church fantasize about this. We can, we can force them all, right? Everybody to have a religion. And in Iceland... You have to register your religion. And in Iceland, everybody has to pay a religious tax. Everybody has to pay it. It doesn't matter. It is straight up on your income tax. Everybody pays the religious tax. Again, I think people in our country think, oh, this might be a great idea, right? We could just charge the hound out of people. We could make them pay, right? It's tithing's in the Bible. We've got to do that. It's like, yeah, I'm deeply a Baptist, so it's like, this is a horrific idea, it's terrible. We're the ones that fought for freedom. It's like, no, 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 people have to choose. So in Iceland, what has happened is a new religion, Zouism, has grown. After just two years, one percent of the population of Iceland has transferred their membership to Zouism, which according to them, is loosely based on Zoroastrian philosophy from Persia. But really, what it means is, if you join the Zouism faith, you get a tax rebate. The money you spent in taxes, they'll give it back to you, minus a handling fee. So some people have figured out this very interesting money-making scheme, and everybody that's getting taxed, they get to take their money back, and the people that are doing it for them are getting a cut. What do you think a religion, a faith, is supposed to look like? See, that's the thing that's inside all of us. Is this stuff that's stirring around, and it's kind of motivating us, and we're, we're not really always clear what we're thinking about, and that's the world that they were living in. They had so many things pulling them apart. And one of the things that was tugging at them is this idea that they were expecting God to look and act a certain way. That is, they had framed a picture around God. Said, this is the way God looks. Who do the people say the son of man is? Jesus is talking about himself. We know that from lots of other passages. He says, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And it says, well, some of the people say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Just a couple of chapters before we learned that, that John the Baptist died. You're John the Baptist. And we know who John the Baptist was. was John the Baptist was out in the wilderness, and he was kicking the temple leadership in the teeth day after day after day, telling those people down there, telling the man that they were wrong, and trying to overthrow the whole system. And that's who we think Jesus is. He's the one that's going to go drain the swamp. He's the one that's going to go fix the people that are far away, that are making my life miserable. Some people said, he's Elijah. Now, Elijah had a reputation. They had some ideas about Elijah. And the ideas about Elijah was that Elijah was going to show up and he was going to be the trumpet call And when he blew his trumpet, everything was going to change in their favor. And he was going to be marching with the big army that was to come, and he was going to help overthrow the powers around them, And so everybody was on the lookout for Elijah, and they'd been trained year after year after year because at this very particular moment in their annual religious festival, the Passover, they would, at the end of it, send a child, and they'd open the front door and look for Elijah and say, is Elijah here? And if he wasn't there, then say, okay, well, maybe next year. We can't get what we want until Elijah shows up. See, both John the Baptist and Elijah represented what it would look like to have authority and power over others. To be able to get your way by force. And that's what people were looking for. In fact, that's what people are still looking for all the time. What they want from God is power over others to get their way. Sometimes it takes the frame of military activity. Sometimes it's political upheaval. Sometimes it's social peer. Do you want God on your side? And that's what you think maybe getting with God. I mean, your life should be better because you have God. And it's deep down there sneaking around in you. My way should win because I got God. The things that, I mean, I I think these right thoughts and the way we're doing it is better and so we should make everybody do it the better way. See, they're just like us. And they believe power Mm -hmm. might be the way. Or maybe status, when people look at me, they need to see who I am. See, that's what Elijah's going to do. Well, I' just going to point and say, "See those people." They're special. They are chosen, and by definition, you're not. Sometimes people that follow after God begin to believe that something has made them better than other people. And so they don't need power over people because they have status over other people, and they look down their nose at other people and they judge other people. See, that's what lots of times people are looking for from God. They want God, because they're certain that God's on their side, to judge all the people around them and tell all the people around them that they're wrong and that they would change and adjust themselves to us. And they don't think that their sin is particularly bad, but everybody else's sin is really bad. I'm right. And you're wrong. See, these disciples were in a very particular religious culture in which the Jews believed things about themselves that the Messiah was going to do and was going to settle for everybody else around them. And we think that these jokers were so dumb and they were wrong. It's like, no, 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 no. This is exactly the way we approach God. We think that if we could get God, these things are going to happen for us. And even worse. And the, the the general ideas about God, there's this really deep-down idea of the thing that I secretly want for myself. If I could get to God, this is what I'd want. Like this is the way we all are. In the secret place of our lives, we believe that we're knowledgeable, and we know, and we're pretty unique, and we're pretty amazing. Some people said, you're Jeremiah. Now, how in the world did Jeremiah get in this mix? At the time, Jeremiah was not particularly seen as a harbinger of the Messiah. Jeremiah was thought, the book of Maccabees teaches us, that he was the one that knew where the secret stuff was kept stuff that had been taken from the temple and been hidden out in the wilderness. He's the one that guarded the cave, kind of like in Indiana Jones. He was the one. And so some people were beginning to believe what was going on was that Jesus knew a bunch of secrets, and he was going to teach them all the secrets. And if they could get the secret knowledge, well, then, boy, they would be amazing. Because then at the end of it, he says, "Are just one of the prophets, pick which one. This is the way we are. We want to pick our own God. We want to sort through all the things and secretly on the inside say, here's the thing I want God to be. And for every one of you, it's a little different. It's the God that you have shaped personally in your heart, just like they did. And then Jesus strips that all away and says, I need to ask the most important question you're ever going to be asked. Who do you say I am? Like everything hinges in your relationship with Jesus with understanding who he is. If he's the most important person in history, did the most important thing for all people, then your relationship with him is the single most important decision you will ever make. Who is he? Is he the God that people around are talking about? Is he the God that you secretly are creating in your heart? Or is he uniquely, amazingly different and revealed to you? Who is he? In 2006, a terrible car crash happened in Michigan. It was a bunch of students from Taylor University, and they were traveling on a trip. And an 18-wheeler intersected with their van, and it killed five people in the van, students, some workers. One of them was... a uh, Whitney Sarek, young, vivacious, alive. The coroner talked about driving to her house and and telling her parents that she passed away in this accident. And the grief that they shared. And then the funeral, 1,500 people, lots of the students from the college came. Everybody was there and grieving for the family. At the same time, Laura Van Ryn's family was at the hospital 24 hours a day. She had been badly injured. Her face was covered in bandages. She was in a coma. And so day after day after day, Laura's family stood by her side and talked to her, sang to her, and read the scriptures to her. And after five weeks, she slowly began to wake up, and they her family began to, they began to wonder about the changes that had happened to her because of the accident. Some slight changes in her facial bones. Some things that she did that just didn't seem the same as before. And she finally was able to communicate a little, and her sister said, What's your name? and she said, my name is Whitney. For five weeks, they believed that Whitney was dead and Laura was alive. But in fact, Whitney had been alive the whole time. Her family, for five weeks, had sat there and misidentified her. And on that morning, they had to Realized that they had to go get this other family and tell them your daughter's alive and our daughter is dead. 2012, they did a a review. of They kind of went back and interviewed her. She was married in the church where her funeral was. Had a baby. That image of being married in the church where they did your funeral was really stunning in that. Identifying and learning to live with who Jesus really is is the most important decision, really identifying, because this is the God you need, not the one that everybody expects and not the one that you want, but the one that you need. And so he looks at Peter. And Peter looks back at him, and Peter pulls on all the threads of all the conversations and everything that they've done, and then he says. Now, this is Greek 101 here. It's really okay. The first word means uh, responded to or he talked back to. Uh, the next word is a uh, but. But he responded back. Uh, Simon Petros. You kind of see Petros even up there on the top. Uh, saying, that's, that word on the second line, uh, you are su you are, to Jesus. And then uh, what begins, every one of these is a definite article, the. Okay, we, we get rid of one of them in the way English is, but in this little section. So of these uh, few words, four of them are the. 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 And, and so he says, you are the Christos, the Christ, the Son, The God, the living. You're the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. That's the dream of all of history. All of the messianic prophecies are in you. You're the one, the Messiah, the Son, the God, the living. So let me break that down for just a moment right here for you. If you've never made a decision for Christ... Here's what he reveals to us. That from the foundations of the earth, God set in, plan, a, 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 set in plan his son coming. And he told us about it over and over and over again, that it was going to happen. And in the person of Jesus, all those promises and all those dreams have come true. And everything we know about God to this moment has come true in the person of Jesus. He's the Christ. We use it as a last name. It's a designation. The anointed one of God. He's the son. He tells you and I that we can have a unique relationship with God unlike any other religious plan in the world revealed to us that we who follow the name of Jesus and the way of Jesus are able to become children of the Father. He adopts us as his children. You following Christ get to become part of the family of God. He's the Son of God. He's God. He himself is the incarnation. God came in the flesh in order that we might not know a God who is far away, but a God who has suffered and lived amongst us and understood what temptation is like and yet resisted and had no sin. He is the perfect and whole God. And he's living. He came alive in the resurrection. He continues to be alive in the world today through the Holy Spirit. See, Peter says, here's what we need. I need to be in contact with the way of God over time, and everything that the word is said, I can believe, and it's true. And I need to be in dynamic relationship with God as his own child. And I need to understand that he's God and I'm not, and my sin is abhorrent to God, because he's holy and I'm sinful, and I gotta do something about that problem. And the way forward is the living way of Jesus. Upon saying this, Jesus responds, blessed are you. If you respond to the power and teaching and work of Jesus in this way, you'll be blessed. It'll change your life. But unfortunately, what happens is people only respond to part of it. They say, what I really like about Jesus, I like his teachings. He's a moral and ethical teacher, and I like his teachings. Oh, I really like that he loves everybody. Oh, I really, really don't like that he might judge me. See, you've got to have all the pieces in order to follow the real God. And if not, what's happened is you've made a misidentification and you're standing near a dead body when he's calling you to stand near his living body. Have you properly identified Jesus? Only you and God can answer that question.